This morning we're going to continue the theme that was very artfully begun last Sunday by Pastor Eric as we began the exposition of the book of Hebrews. And if you recall, there was one major theme, in fact this is really the title of the whole series, and that is that Jesus is better. And it was very clear last week as we looked at the first four verses of this particular letter or book or sermon, whichever it might be, that Jesus indeed is far superior to the angels, far superior to any created being, far superior to anything in the universe. For God is his Father, he is the Son of God, and they share the same essence and receive the same worship. With that in mind, it's, it's very helpful for us as Christians to reflect upon the birth and the life and ministry, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The fact is that God has some great lessons for us to learn as we look at the life of Jesus and we consider this particular question. The question is, why did Jesus need to be born? Why did he need to be born? Why didn't he just do what the angels did, where they appeared at his birth and in all of their glory and, and bore testimony to the fact that the Messiah, the Savior, has come? Why wouldn't Jesus do exactly the same thing? Appear in all of his glory before us. Announce his intentions, that we are all to worship him and trust him by faith. Why wouldn't he do that? Well, because he's superior to the angels. And God had some deeper plans in which to implement through him taking upon himself a human nature and a human body and being born. And so what I'm going to try to show you from this text, Hebrews 2, verses 10 and following, that Jesus needed to be born for a whole plethora of reasons, many of which come straight out of this text. And so, as we come to the text itself, let's consider this main point that I have for the whole sermon, and it simply is this. Jesus needed to be born so that you could live. Let me say it again. Jesus needed to be born so that you could truly live. Let's turn to the text. We come to verse 10. And right away, the writer here makes the argument that there are certain fulfilled duties that Jesus did and accomplished for us in coming to this earth and taking upon himself a human form, being born as a human. It says in verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The he that is speaking of, for whom and by all things exist, is the Father. It's talking about God the Father. And God the Father has sent forth the founder of our salvation and that is Jesus Christ. It was fitting that God the Father sent forth the Son. It was becoming suitable and right for God to do so. 
for God to send forth his son so we would enter time and space and history and he would do for you and for me something that we couldn't do for ourselves. That he would keep the law perfectly. That he would lay down his life as a sacrifice for sins. And that he would become the founder of our salvation, bringing many sons to glory. That was his purpose. To bring us back into a right relationship with God the Father. And in so doing, he became the founder of our salvation. Other translations will use the word the author of our, of our salvation. He became the one who began it all and completed it all. Now note the words that come next in the text. That he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. But wait a minute. Wait a minute here. I thought Jesus was already perfect. <laughs> Why would he need to be perfected through suffering? Well, it's important to make a distinction here. I don't believe this text is so much talking about the, the person of Jesus, his individual personhood, as if that could be improved on. It surely could not. But instead, it's talking about the office that he fulfills as the mediator. And so when Christ comes to this world, he suffered all the ignominities of this particular world. He was humiliated, he was rejected, he was betrayed, he was put to death on a cross. In short, he was perfected in his role as mediator through suffering. We shouldn't be surprised at this. After all, the prophet Isaiah spoke of this 700 years before the birth of Christ. He says in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Also, Paul reflects on the same theme in the book of Galatians. He'll say this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In so doing, Jesus was perfected in his role by suffering on our behalf. And that suffering accomplished something that we could never accomplish for ourselves. That he suffered so that we could have a substitute for our sins and thereby receive right standing from Christ himself. Not our own merit, not our own background, not our own doing, not our own obedience, not anything that we could contribute, but it comes from Jesus. And so to say it simply, if Jesus wasn't born, if he didn't take human flesh upon himself and come to this earth, that would not have happened. Jesus came so that he indeed would be the author of our salvation and that he would secure it for us. Moreover, he also adopts us into his family. Verses 11 and following. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, 
Behold, I and the children God has given me. These quotations, by the way, are taken, first of all, from the Psalms, Psalm 22, and then later from Isaiah chapter 8. But Jesus is simply reflecting what the psalmist and Isaiah were saying about him. That he would come and that he would have a ministry of sanctifying the people of God, bringing back, bring them back into a right relationship with God. And in so sanctifying us, he would not be ashamed to call us brothers. And I might add sisters. Let's think about this for a minute. Can you actually believe that Jesus, the one whom we worship, who's exalted above all things and deserves all worship, also calls you his brother and his sister by the work of sacrifice and substitutionary atonement that he has done on our behalf? He calls us his brothers and sisters. He's adopted us into his family. So that we, who would feel most unworthy, most unable, most unwelcome into such a position, are by grace received into his family and adopted. It's a sad testimony that this particular doctrine, adoption, is just not talked about all that much in the Christian faith, but it is a tremendously rich doctrine of acceptance and knowing that God has taken us into his very presence, and that Jesus, the one whom we worship, calls us brothers and sisters. And not only that, he sings your praise. As he intercedes for us, he praises, he sings praises to God the Father for all that is happening in our life, all the things that he is doing in us, all the things that we are doing out of obedience and love to him. He sings our praise. He's brought us into his family. He is not ashamed to call us his brother and his sister. In the book of Matthew, Jesus stretched out his hand toward his disciples. He said, see, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is exciting stuff when you think about it. Here Jesus has brought us into his family and we belong to somebody. We belong somewhere. It's not as if we're individuals drifting out there in space with no connection, no relationships. Oh no. God has brought us into his family and he sings your praise in the congregation of the faithful. There was an old farmer who was bringing in his large bag of potatoes that he had harvested on his back, and he was just carrying them by hand into the marketplace. There was a young man who he saw who had gone off to university in a faraway town, but the, the young man came home uh, just to be with his family, and he was visiting some of his neighbors and friends, and they got to talking about all the young man was learning at the university and how the young man was beginning to be a bit skeptical about the things of God. Eventually, they got to talking about religious matters, and, and finally, the young man said to the old farmer, 
How do you know that you are saved? The farmer took a few steps and then he just simply dropped the bag off of his back. And he walked a few more steps and he said, how do I know that I've dropped the bag? I have not looked around. The young man said, well, no, you can tell by the lessening of the weight. And yes, the farmer went on, that is how I know I am saved. I have lost the guilty feeling of sin and sorrow, and I have found peace and satisfaction in my Lord and my Savior. See, this man knew what it was like to be called brother to the Lord Jesus, to have Jesus himself not be ashamed to call him his brother and to sing his praises in the congregation of the faithful. For you see, not all matters are just known by rationalism or by science, but lots of things are known by testimony and by personal experience. And so it is in this regard where we know that we are brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know we've been forgiven of our sins and adopted into his family. And so why did Jesus need to be born? Well, he secured your salvation as the author of that salvation. He adopted you into his family. And he also, the text tells us, conquers the evil one. It says in verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Well, Jesus shares along with us flesh and blood by God's design. He didn't just make a cosmic announcement for us all to hear, but instead he'd entered time and space and history and took on flesh and became like us. And in so doing, he partook of the same things that we partake of. All the issues of life, all the trials and temptations, all the struggles, our Lord endured all of those matters. But he did it for the purpose of not only understanding us and we understanding him, but also to destroy the one who has the power of death, and that is the devil. This word destroy doesn't mean that somehow hurt him and cast him aside. It's, it's that idea of to annihilate him, to destroy him, to abolish him in all of his evil intentions. So that Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ has defeated the evil one. In 1 John 3, verse 8, John will say, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And the devil's end in Revelation 20, verse 10 the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, and they will be tormented 
day and night forever and ever. That's why Jesus was born. Not only to secure your salvation as the author of our faith, not only to adopt you into his family, not only to conquer the evil one, but also going further to deliver you from a lifetime of slavery to sin. And so the text will say this in verse 15 and 16. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. What we learn here in this particular section is that Jesus' mission was not only adopt to adopt you and bring into you into his family to establish the plan of salvation to be its author, but also to bring about a demonstrable effect of that salvation into our lives, into your life and into mine. That he would deliver us from those patterns and prevailing sins and challenging difficult situations that produce guilt and suffering in our life to deliver us so that we could move forward as those who are being sanctified. So that we'd no longer be slaves to the old ways, but we'd be, by God's grace, made new in Christ. And so in Romans 8, Paul will reflect on this by saying, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. For surely, the text says, it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now, perhaps you're thinking, wow, I don't know that I fall into that category of the offspring of Abraham. Well, it's not saying that you're from a Jewish background, although you may be, or that you're only from a Gentile background, or you may be from there. It's simply talking about not the physical descendants of Abraham, it's talking about the spiritual descendants of Abraham. All of those who believe by faith as Abraham did. And so again, the Apostle Paul will add to this and say in Galatians 3, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the angels by faith, preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so you may not believe it, but the reality is if you're in Christ, you're of Abraham. And that's why in Galatians 3, verse 29, Paul will say basically those same words. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Gratefully, we're connected to Abraham by faith, and that faith that God puts into us then transforms us, makes us new, gives us a different path to live by, a different way of living and conducting life. Matthew Henry, perhaps you've heard of him, one of my favorite commentators on the Bible, a famous Bible scholar, 
He was riding a horse one day, coming home from a preaching mission, and he was accosted by thieves and robbed. He was robbed of his purse and many other things, and once he got to his home, though, he wrote in his diary these words. He said, first of all, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. <laughs> well, that was good. <laughs> Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was really not all that very much. <laughs> and fourth, because it was I who was robbed rather than I who did the robbing. See, Matthew Henry understood what it was like to have a life that was transformed by the gospel. He wasn't the man that he was at an earlier point in life. He wasn't the person who was so controlled by his passions and his desires and his temptations that he could not resist them. But because he acknowledged that he was one who belonged to Christ, that he had been delivered from this lifelong slavery. Could it be, possibly, that that's true for you and for me as well? That Christ came so we'd be delivered from slavery. And all the things that have so captured our imaginations and our passions in the past, but haven't necessarily, necessarily ended up in a good way. Christ has come to deliver us. And so why did Jesus need to be born? Well, he secures your salvation as the author of salvation. He adopts you into his family and calls you brother and sister. He conquers the evil one. He delivers you from lifelong slavery. And lastly, he suffers as your high priest. How come we're back to suffering again? This author has a thing with suffering. <laughs> but notice what it says here. In verse 17 and 18. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. In the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. The text says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Jesus knows what it's like to be in the midst of a trial. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to go through difficult circumstances where everyone is accusing and blaming and even betraying you. He knows all of that. Yet, we see in the text of Scripture, especially in Hebrews 4, that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, the Son of God, and we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Jesus is our high priest. He went through all the suffering that he did on this world for one purpose, 
to deliver us and to understand all that we go through. And we could know that we have a high priest who understands and gets it when it comes to what human life is all about. He was our high priest who not only offered up sacrifices on our behalf, but also became the sacrifice for us so that our sins would be upon him and his righteousness would be upon us so that when we stand before God on the judgment day, we're wrapped in the robes of Christ's righteousness as his brothers and sisters. And he's not ashamed of us to call us brothers and sisters. He himself has suffered, but he suffered on our behalf. So why did Jesus need to be born? Well, he secured your salvation by becoming the author of all salvation. He adopted you into his family, and he's not ashamed to call you brothers. He conquered the evil one, and he put him in his place so that we could be delivered. He delivered us from lifelong slavery so we could live a different kind of life, and he suffered as our high priest is one who understands and sympathizes with all that is a part of the human condition. Simply stated, Jesus needed to be born so that you could live. 